following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to transform your life. Welcome to Direct Connect Empowerment with your host, Fee Mazanki. Our program will explore the concepts and ideas behind Direct Connect Coaching by introducing guests who are using or are aligned with this program and have used the ideas to transform their lives. It is our sincere hope that you can use this inspiration to do the same. Now, here is Fee Mazanki. Welcome, everyone. Sending you all gratitude and peace on this Tuesday afternoon. Thanks so much for being a part of the show today. And the boomerang effect is a movement that I speak about each week on the show. Essentially, the boomerang effect is the focus in your life with what you really want is what you put out to the world. So it's just really a very empowering concept to consider rather than complaining and focusing on all the things that are not going well. It's really putting those things out into the world that you want. Yesterday, and I, I do encourage people each and every week to email me at fee at directconnectcoaching.com to um, share some stories of how the boomerang effect is working in your life. And I received an email yesterday from a client who recently ended a very long-term relationship with her boyfriend. And it is, as you can imagine, it's a deeply emotional time for her. And she knows of the boomerang effect through coaching and also through listening to the radio show. So last week, she became very deeply conscious of being a loving person to others so that she could feel and have that love return back to her since this is such a deeply emotional time for her. And the exciting thing is, and this is what she wanted to share with me about her boomerang effect in the midst of a deeply emotional time for her, is that every single day when she got aware of putting that love out to those that she interacted with daily, that uh, it returned to her and people were reaching out to support her and affirm their love to her. And this was before any mention of any of the breakup that circulated through social media. It was just this client getting really clear about the fact that in a time where she really required love and support, that she would give it out the most, and it came back. So it was a very deeply touching email and one that I I wanted to share with all of you to make sure that you do the same, to keep it up, keep those boomerangs of love, peace, success, and joy coming so that uh, you can have that be a part of your reality too. And those of you who listened last week know that I had mentioned my dear friend, John Kane, who this Sunday is doing the Ironman Lake Placid to benefit the Front Row Foundation, the foundation we've mentioned here many times on the show. These are the final days before the race. 
John is running the race to benefit the Front Row Foundation, has a very aggressive goal of raising $50,000 in these two weeks, in the two weeks leading up to the race. So if you are interested in throwing out your boomerang of generosity, please send an email to jkane, that's K-A-N-E, at cutco.com to donate. One final bit of uh, uh, information before I introduce our very special guest today. I also ask that all of you send out a boomerang of peace this week in the wake of all the turmoil that's going on in the world. This is the time that we really can unite together in our personal efforts for peace within our own hearts so that we can create a worldwide boomerang of peace. So just take a few moments each and every day to do that as well. Now, let's get on to the show. Joining me today is Professor Jenny Hubler. And Jenny is a dear friend of mine. She is an associate professor of management and the director of the Center for Human Resource Resource Management at University of Illinois at Chicago, where she's been on the faculty for the past nine years. Her research interests are in the areas of gender and diversity in the workplace, leadership behaviors, and work and family. And she spent the 2011-2012 academic year on a Fulbright Research Award studying women's representation in leadership positions in South African corporations. She currently serves on the editorial boards of Personnel Psychology, Journal of Organizational Behavior, Journal of Occupational Health Psychology, and the Journal of Occupational and Organizational Psychology. Very, very widely researched human being. She is. Uh, she and her husband, Ryan, li- live with their dog, Indy, in Chicago's Little Italy neighborhood. And clearly, there's no uh, loss for great restaurants and good food in Little Italy. So, uh, welcome to the show, Jenny. Jenny and I go way back as... Uh, as she is the sister of Jackie Hubler and Gina Hubler. So there's, there's all these Hublers that are in the family, and uh, Jenny's one of the sisters. And um, Jackie is a very, very dear friend of mine who lost her life way too early um, due to brain cancer. So Jenny and I have uh, stayed connected, and uh, have, our connection has grown since, uh, since the loss of Jackie. So welcome, Jenny. We're so happy that you're here with us today. Thank you, Fee. I'm really happy to be with you. You're such a positive force for, in my life, and I know you are to others. So I'm very happy to join you. Yeah, thanks. Now, one of the things, Jack, uh, Jenny, that I found fascinating uh, when I went to your office this spring was that you had a plaque that was proudly displaying your intention to be a teacher. And I think this was, was it when you were in second grade that you wrote it, eight years old? Yeah, it was. That's right. Yeah. So please tell our listeners about that plaque and why it proudly hangs at the office, at your office there at the University of Illinois, Chicago? Well, I have my mom to thank for saving my second grade, sort of what I want to be when I grow up assignment. Uh, Mom keeps things, but I'm a pitcher, so I'm lucky to have this, uh, thanks to her. 
So picture that tannish gray handwriting practice paper with the giant ruled lines. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, (laughs) I wrote in giant print, probably with one of those big, thick pencils. I want to be a teacher because a teacher works with kids and I like to help kids. Other teachers will help me get started. I'd like to be on duty at recess so I can watch the school children so they don't get hurt. So I guess even then I sort of appreciated the value of mentoring. Uh, But I I like to joke that if you read closely, you might see that I've been also always a little interested in having power too, like being on duty at recess and sort of being in charge. So you're right, that uh, sheet of paper is framed in my office at the University of Illinois. And I found it's a really great conversation starter uh, with students, but also with faculty. And You know, I think I knew what I wanted to be, that I wanted to be a teacher even in second grade, um, probably because I had really good teacher role models in my own family. My great-grandmother was actually a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse in rural Illinois, and my grandmother, Grandma Chum, taught kindergarten um, to just about everyone who I think lives in the town of Chenoa, Illinois. And my mother owned and operated a nursery school in Gridley, Illinois, and taught there for something like 35 years. So I'm really proud that teaching is my heritage, and I think it's no surprise that I knew even as a little girl that that's probably what I would end up doing. And what a great passion it is for you, Jenny, to be able to share that with others and share it at a very high level at the university level. And what I think is fascinating about it, you may look at it as kind of the power with you wanting to be on, you know, at recess, but uh, I also feel like there's a nurturing aspect to that where you were kind of overseeing the children so that they were not going to get hurt. And I know that's, yeah. And I know that's certainly part of, you know, I know your parents well, and I know your mom is so nurturing and caring. And so I'm sure that that upbringing and that nurturing piece uh, for you um, was an, a great example in teaching. And I have to mention this, Jenny, because uh, I was, I loved being able to be at your office this spring because you invited me in as a guest in your honors leadership class. We'll talk about that in a little while. But One of the greatest things that I witness, because I love just observing behavior of people, I think that comes from being the youngest of seven children, I always (laughs) observed everybody and kind of learned from those experiences, but I watched your nurturing aspect uh, as a professor, I watched that when uh, there was an assignment due And, you know, some of the kids were scrambling, the students came in and they were scrambling to get their assignments emailed off to you. And one of the students was a little bit frazzled at that time. And you said, look, you still have some time because we were in the room, in the classroom Mm -hmm. early. And you said, hey, you still have some time to get it to me. So just take it easy and go ahead and and take a deep breath and go get it and and send it in before the class starts. And so I saw that nurturing side of you, even as a professor, um, and and, and I'm sure it could have been, and it would have been very easy for you, Jenny, to be able to say, hey, this is due, you're a student, wake up, you know, this is (laughs) kind of, this is your life right now, get with the program, but you certainly didn't do that. And I saw that I wanted to share that with the listeners because I think on a university level, 
to be able for me to see the care and the concern that you have, knowing that sometimes students have other things going on, other assignments, other, you know, finals or tests or papers that are due, that that came out loud and clear. Thanks, V. Thanks for observing that and even mentioning that. I don't really remember it myself, but I do think it's a delicate balance between sort of giving them hard love and getting them ready to go out and assume the responsibilities of being a working individual and sort of taking care of them and nurturing them and realizing that they have lots of other things that are taking their time and their energies and their lives, which I think is probably something we'll talk about later in the call. Sure. And yeah. one, of, one of the things that I can tell you as as a business person that I've evolved over the years and watched businesses evolve is that it seems to me, and you can interject this if you wish, um, that there's really been definitely more of a trend towards the personal touch, the personal care, as opposed to just, you know, go out there and get the job done. Now, one of the concerns that I see is that people, you know, especially in in the medical field, there's a lot of um, pulling back and and reducing numbers of employees to cut costs. But at least in the business world that I've been exposed to, there's been an outreach for people to grow and develop personally and to have more of that personal touch and care. Would you agree with that? I would, um, and I think that maybe with the downturn in the economy in 2008 that employers were sort of getting away from treating people like individuals and we were all asked to do more with less and that we should almost be grateful to be employed. But, I, but fortunately, I think that that mindset is now sort of going away and that employers are remembering that there's still a war for talent and that they're best and brightest. Um, need to be valued and they need to have a good deal of work-life balance and supportive supervisors to remain happy and engaged. So I feel like we're seeing a resurgence of valuing employees and a resurgence of investing in employees with training and development. I think business schools also are appreciative of that more recently. Right. And I've seen in my coaching practice too, uh, I've seen companies looking to reinvest in people or the the trend being, hey, I would like to have this person grow personally. So as a company, we would like to invest in that. And I've seen that over, I've seen a lot of different swings in that department. It seems to mm-hmm. be kind of the reemergence, uh, like you've said. Yeah, I'm glad to see that. Yeah. Um, now you've seen the trends shifting in college enrollments over the years, Jenny. Can you share with us what's trending now as far as college enrollments? Sure, yeah. Um, You know, one of my favorite quotes is that I think it's actually from John Adams. I'll paraphrase it probably a little bit. He basically said, I study politics, so my sons have the liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. My sons study these in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, and architecture. So the idea behind that is that each generation does better than the previous generation and their lifestyles then should improve so that they can become freer to pursue their own interests and passions. Um, And in general, I feel like that was the case up until maybe the economic downturn of 2008, like I mentioned before. 
Um, and I don't have a lot of data, I guess, to back this up. But anecdotally, I feel like I've seen a return to the more practical college degrees that students are interested in degrees that have perhaps a more clearer path to jobs after they graduate. And so, like, as, as a business professor, I think this is good news for business schools because we're experiencing higher enrollments, and that means more resources for business schools in general. But what does that mean for the humanities and the arts? I think it means that um, parents are probably still okay with their college students earning those degrees, art, music, the humanities. They also want to see, for example, that minor in business as sort of an insurance policy that they can get a job when they graduate. So I think that's a trend that we've been seeing more towards practical. Can I get a job? Like we still want you to do what really interests you as a student, but especially parents pushing for that practicality, that instrumentality of having a a degree that will get them a job right upon graduation. So in terms of the school of business, are you seeing quite a few more, uh, your class class size is a little bit bigger now than they were in the past? Yeah, I think that's true. I know that we've been hiring a lot of adjuncts to add additional sections of classes that we didn't have before. Another thing that I'm seeing is like schools of art and architecture approaching the College of Business and saying, we're worried about our enrollment. So could we together design a joint program in, for example, um, art business or, you know, the running of a museum, that sort of thing to make, to take those humanities and arts degrees and make them again a little bit more practical. The, the College of Business is now partnering with those other schools. I, I really love that, that approach of joining together instead of just having that separate mindedness approach. And I, mm-hmm. and that's what I think is what we as a society need to trend towards just in general is much more of that concept of where we can join, join forces together to say, this is how we can do this better, make it better, make it more feasible and make it more practical for everyone involved. And I just, that warms my heart, Jenny, just to hear you say that that's what you're seeing where it's a very cooperative effort instead of a separate-minded effort. That's very exciting. Yeah, Yeah. very good. The interdisciplinary approach, I think, is is far too rare, but you're exactly right that that needs to be the direction that we're heading in. Yeah, it's good to see that it's, it's really... Uh, percolating on the university level. Mm -hmm. We've got to take a quick break and we're going to be right back. I am joined by Dr. Jenny Hubler and uh, we'll be right back. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Do you want to directly impact your business results, improve the quality of your life, learn to empower yourself, or move through roadblocks to create more success for yourself? If so, directly connect with Fee Mazanke at Direct Connect Coaching. Fee is an expert in the field of coaching with over 14 years of experience. Go to www.directconnectcoaching.com to learn more about Fee's empowering programs. Fee works with individuals and delivers keynote messages that are inspiring and uplifting. 
Experience what Fee has to offer at directconnectcoaching.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Direct Connect Empowerment. To reach Fee Mazanke or her guest on the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now back to Direct Connect Empowerment. Thanks for listening. And as a parent of a college student and then a parent of a student that we are in the midst of searching for the perfect college match for her, um, I'm joined today by Dr. Jenny Hubler, who is a professor at the University of Illinois, Chicago. And um, so if you do have questions, parents, those of you like me who are paying lots and lots of tuition, uh, please, by all means, I, I encourage you to give us a call regarding any questions you may have for Dr. Hubler. Um, Jenny, what suggestions can you offer students and parents of, of college students to maximize their education? How do they get into school and really make the most of it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was a student for a very long time. I think my nephews even joked, you know, when are you going to graduate? Because I, you know, went to, um, I got my MBA after my undergrad and then went on later to get the PhD. And so I've had a lot of experience as a student and now being a professor, um, something I realized I could have done a much better job of, especially as an undergraduate student, was to actually forge a relationship with one or two professors. I went to a Big Ten university, and I always felt like I would actually be bugging a professor to have a conversation with them. But I have to say, on the other side of it, as a professor, I really enjoyed getting to know some students on an individual basis. And while that's good, what's really important is that I see that the resources that this can bring to students who make the effort to get to know me and other professors. Um, For example, a lot of times we'll get emails from employers asking us to recommend students for internships or job interviews. And if I know your name and I think positively about you, there's a good chance you're going to come to mind for these sorts of opportunities. Um, Also, another example, if a student is is planning on going to graduate school or even just applying for jobs, um, that student's going to need letters of recommendation. And sometimes, especially for graduate school, those must come from college professors. Um, and And unfortunately, I get asked by students, to write those types of letters of recommendation sometimes. And I really don't remember those students because they've never really taken the time to introduce themselves to me. 
And so I can't write a convincing letter of recommendation if I truly only remember the grade that you got in class by looking back to a spreadsheet to see what that was. Um, so I need to know you more than just a face in the back row or, you know, a grade on a spreadsheet if I'm going to write a convincing letter of recommendation. So I think parents should encourage their students to make the most of those relationships during their time on campus. Um, but I would say also to students, don't just come to my office hours and sit there and expect me to sort of carry the conversation and maybe make chit-chat. Professors are busy people, and we're doing our research, we're teaching, we're doing service in the community and on campus, so please have a specific reason to come and make that connection with me, and I think a lot of really positive resources can come to you because of that. Well, I think that's also a great stepping stone, Jenny, for um, uh, students to learn that behavior because one of the the common denominators that I have seen over and over and over with my guests, and I've had such a diverse group of guests on the show, but one of the common denominators is that in order to be successful in any walk of life, it really starts with that relationship building. So, mm-hmm. What a great way to practice with your professor. You know, start that, start that ball rolling, take an interest in what the professor is doing and, and pick his or her brain to be able to say, hey, how can I make the most of this? Or what are you looking for specifically in this paper or in this project or in this work? Or, you know, what's, you know, the, the final, how can I best prepare myself for the final? I think that's such a great way to show interest and to start that relationship building process to put it into practice um, and, you know, so that they can do that once they are out of school because it's essential in any workplace at all, no matter what. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I feel like sometimes I do sense that students are sort of practicing those networking skills on me. And I have to say it's charming for them to be doing that. Um, you know, as a, an educator, I feel this, um, you know, kindness and benevolence towards them that they are working on those skills and that they see that these things outside of the classroom are perhaps as equally important as what's going on inside the classroom. I would agree with you 100%. Definitely. Now, with the rising costs of college tuition, I'm knee-deep in it right now. Oh, um, no. <laughs> do, you, do you see more uh, online college degrees becoming popular, or do you see a trending uh, in a different direction because of the costs and, and because students are looking at, you know, four years, $200,000 plus in some cases? Yeah, the, the cost of college has really become exorbitant, and the, the rate at which it's increasing is really impossible for a lot of families to, to control and to, to make sense of. Um, I do see the online college degrees becoming more popular. Um, a lot of your listeners may be familiar with Starbucks' recent decision to offer tuition reimbursement to all their full-time and part-time employees. Um, and they may know that this is through Arizona State's online program. And I think it's wonderful that Starbucks is interested in investing in its low-wage workforce in this way. And, and I do applaud them for doing that. 
But, you know, in general, because I'm a more brick-and-mortar type university professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago, um, my bias has to be more towards the traditional college experience. Um, like we just talked about, you know, learning to network with other people face-to-face and have those interpersonal experiences from going to class, meeting with diverse classmates, and learning to work with them, especially in team environments, like we do so much in the College of Business, um, is so important. And I've realized that um, a lot of families, a lot of individuals, um, for a lot of reasons, money, time, family commitments, um, it's not possible for them to send their students to a brick-and-mortar university um, and the online degree can, can better meet their needs. But I do think that there are a lot of skills to be gained from the traditional college experience. Well, I certainly know, um, Jenny, that in my case, in my own personal experience, that going away to college, aside from the book knowledge and information, much of which I have forgotten, not all of it, but much of which it's been a long time since I've been in college. But the the relationships and the experiences of living on a budget, living with initiative and responsibility, those are some of the things that you can never pass up. And as I share with my own children, the level of importance of college does go beyond just what your degree says that you learned Mm -hmm. and yeah it's learning to live with others and I had the great fortune of living with two of your sisters at the same time which we always (laughs) joke about because that was always a very interesting experience for me to watch them fight over the jeep and that sort of thing Um, but that's that was always great to, uh, you know, great to see the dynamics there and to see, you know, my own personal dynamics of how I was going to interact with people and, and what that looked like. So it, it, I think it's really fascinating. And then some of the experiences, just one aside, and this is something that I would encourage some of our listeners to do, especially younger listeners because of the, the trends in technology and the connection to technology at so such a deep level. One of the things that my son was required to do the very first day of class when he went into his first class, first semester last year, was they said, uh, the, the professor said, we're going to have go on a technology fast for 72 hours. You cannot email you cannot text, you cannot Facebook or um, go on Twitter or any social media outlets. They had to do a technology fast so that they could, and then write a paper about it, so that they could understand what value it was to have a technology fast. And I happened to get, have the great opportunity of reading Jake's paper and his observations, which were, it, it's, it was just fascinating to see what he learned as a result of going on a technology fast. Again, those are types of things that Obviously, uh, you know, an online education would never be able to provide because you wouldn't be getting educated, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very yeah. interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, what does the research tell us about what's important in the workplace these days, Jenny? Well, since I'm a professor of um, management, and that includes human resource management, this is something that I'm very interested in, and it's something that I 
do a little bit of executive education with for um, corporations, and this is what I teach to my MBAs. Um, and I think I'd kind of go back to what we talked about just a few minutes ago about how with the economic downturn, um, employers were really asking individuals to do more with less, um, do more with fewer resources, fewer coworkers, less travel, less budget, fewer budgets. Um, and now, fortunately, I see that we're seeing that that mindset is changing and that I, see, I hear from companies, I hear from human resource managers that they're now, again, interested in investing in employees and that they're realizing that employees can't go on giving, giving their employers their all as far as all their time and energy and their non-work family time that that period has to end at some point and that employers need to value balance again for workers to remain happy and non-distracted and engaged in their job. And so I think that that the more you're, um, you're fortunate to be employed by an employer who is having that sort of second coming realization, the more fortunate you are. I even saw someone yesterday, and I don't remember the the name of the person who was recommending it. It was a guy that's a billionaire, but I don't remember his name. But I kind of saw it in passing. And Mm -hmm. it was, he is actually recommending a three-day work week to increase and improve productivity, but also to increase uh, employee happiness. And Mm -hmm. he was saying that the, the, the work week, the day, is going to have to be extended to 11 or 12 hours. But he said in terms of overall health and overall um happiness and productivity of employees, that that was his recommendation. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. um, Over a lot of the research, um, what we find is that flexibility is really key to engagement and productivity. And so having the the ability to decide when and where you work um, is so important to making people feel like they have control of their life and that they're able to successfully manage their work-life balance. Um, and so if you are one of the fortunate people who works for an employer where flexibility is possible, where you're not supposed to punch a time card and, and work very consistent hours despite your outside commitments, you're more likely to feel like you are satisfied with your job, you're less likely to turn over, and you're more productive in your work. And I'm sure much happier, too. And yes. it's, it's, it's interesting, too, the, the whole concept of, work-life balance uh, and feeling completely out of balance was exactly the reason why I got into coaching and, and hired my own first coach in the, in the first place. I mean, it was, it was because I felt that lack of balance as a mother of two very young children working full-time and not feeling balanced uh, at all. I really knew that I needed to do something different, and it was immediate um, immediately uh, impactful for me in terms of being able to create more of a balance. And I got the tools uh, to do that. And so it is something that I feel very passionate about with my own clients because I walked that path. You know, mm-hmm. I, walked in, I walked in those shoes. And, mm-hmm. um, and I found that coaching really did help me mm-hmm. with, with that, certainly. Yeah. And I would tell your listeners, too, that it's not just 
mothers, you know, who, who need uh, the opportunity for flexibility and work-life balance. I hate it when people think that, you know, this is just a woman's issue. What the research shows is that people as individuals vary in the degree to which they want this flexibility and control over their working hours. And so even people without children, without elder care responsibilities and so forth may really have a strong desire for flexibility and for control over their working times and locations. And so by doing this, it may look like by implementing a policy that involves flexibility, it may look like it's a mommy policy, but in reality, it has wonderful consequences for people across all different lifespans, across all different family responsibilities. That And that is interesting. And I also have found, again, as a coach, that it, it certainly is the case with men and women really requiring that work-life balance mm-hmm. dynamic. But the technology, again, um, is the one thing that draws people back into the workforce consistently because it's yeah. always there. You know, it's yeah. a, it's a computer in the pocket and uh, accessible at any time. And that's why um, that's why I'll go back to the concept of the technology fast or creating the habit within your own life to really say, hey, uh, this is my family time and this is when all you know technology is turned off so that my focus can be specifically with my family. And I yeah. do that with, with my children regularly where I'll just not I'll I'll have a complete focus just on them when they are there and no other distractions are allowed for me because I want them to know that they are of utmost importance in yeah. my in that moment you know in my life and in that moment so yeah. um I find I that it's, it's a it's great I practice think it's Jerry Turkle at MIT who's doing some interesting research on how um, children, especially of dual career couples, are actually reporting that they feel jealous of their parents' um, smartphones and internet technology, especially when they're used during what otherwise should be family time. So this is having real consequences for families. It's having real consequences for marriage. It's not just about so much like the worker setting boundaries for themselves um, for their own balance, which is important, but it has real consequences that tend to trickle down to others in our lives as well. That's such a great point that one we're going to pick right back up. Uh, One we take a break, we'll be right back. You're listening to Direct Connect Empowerment with Fee. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you want to directly impact your business results, improve the quality of your life, learn to empower yourself, or move through roadblocks to create more success for yourself? If so, directly connect with Fee Mazanke at Direct Connect Coaching. Fee is an expert in the field of coaching with over 14 years of experience. Go to www.directconnectcoaching.com to learn more about Fee's empowering programs. Fee works with individuals and delivers keynote messages that are inspiring and uplifting. Experience what Fee has to offer at directconnectcoaching.com. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Direct Connect Empowerment. To reach Fima Zanke or her guest on the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now back to Direct Connect Empowerment. Hey, you're joined by, and I'm joined by my special guest, Dr. Jenny Hubler, and we're talking about trends and management and leadership and before the break, we were talking about technology and the implications on families. And Jenny, um, can you reiterate some of the some of the uh, research around what uh, what you had mentioned before the break? Yeah, there's some research at MIT um, that has looked at children's responses um, to technology use by their dual earner couple parents at home during family time. And they show that that children feel like they're in competition with their parents' smartphones for time and energy, which everyone knows is what is necessary to effectively raise children. So, so it's interesting that this has this technology usage has implications not only for the employees' feelings of happiness and well-being, but it's likely to spill over or trickle down to their relationships with spouses, partners, and children. And one of the things that I was mentioning over break was uh, just witnessing, again, watching and witnessing and observing behavior uh, that I saw a father recently where his son, who is just turned three years old, was looking to get his attention and was asking and asking for attention. The dad was on the smartphone and I just watched this happen and then the child then erupted because it was the, you know, the way that the child was trained to get the father's attention mm-hmm. while, while he was on the smartphone. So mm-hmm. um, very interesting to see, and I'm glad that there's research being done about that. So that's why, again, I encourage, uh, I encourage for the work-life balance experience for people to turn off technology and stay very focused on the person and developing that relationship, listening and giving attention to that person no matter what, during that time, you know, during the time that they're together. Jenny, what are you seeing with changes in management and leadership since you started teaching? Yeah, so I've been involved in sort of an academic setting and teaching students at the university level since about 1997, 98, I think, Um and I feel like since then there's been a real increase in the business classroom meeting the business world. Um, I feel like lots of professors are doing more to try to incorporate real projects and even consulting for real businesses as course requirements. Um, so at a lot of business schools, you'll still get the research and the theory, which I 
absolutely believe is very important. But now it's paired with the chance to get out and see how people are implementing this research in the business world and actually trying your hand at it even before you graduate. And I think that's that's a trend that I've been seeing and that one that I really support. Wonderful. That practical experience again, and, and not just the, not just the the knowledge from the, the books, but actually putting it and in, in, in applying it, putting it to good use. Great. Right. I want to talk about your experience in South Africa. It's such a rich experience for you and Ryan. Um, when you were studying and researching women in leadership roles in corporations in South Africa, what did you find in your research when you were out there? Um, well, South Africa is a wonderful and also a really interesting country in a lot of ways. And in regards to gender equity, um, gender equity was actually written into their constitution in 1996, following the end of the apartheid years in the early 1990s, where blacks were forced to live in separate locations. And basically, it was it was fine to discriminate against them in all sorts of settings, including in the workplace. Um, so while it took the U.S. maybe almost 200 years or something like that to pass the Civil Rights Act to give women and other minorities workplace protection, South Africa, we could say, actually started with gender equity in the workplace and modernity. So it's an interesting um, location then to study gender equity in the workplace for my research. So the short story, I guess, of my research is that since those 1994 elections and the end of apartheid, women have actually dramatically increased their representation as executive directors of corporations in South Africa. And South Africa actually has more women as a percentage of executive directors of corporations than does the United States. I'd say they're doing better as far as breaking the glass ceiling. Um, but unfortunately, that progress has mostly been for white women. Um, black women, Indian, and colored women, um, colored is actually a term that's commonly used in um, South Africa. Those women of color are still only about 6% of the population of also South African corporate executives. Um, so my research found that um, women were definitely increasing their representation as leaders of corporations and while you you would hope that progress would be better, I would say that it's still better in South Africa as compared to what's happened in the United States. Um, in the U.S., women of color hold, I think it's 3.2% of the board seats of Fortune 500 companies, and more than two-thirds of Fortune, five company, Fortune 500 companies have no women of color on their boards of directors at all. So I was there sort of analyzing data that had been collected um, on women's progress and breaking the glass ceiling in the business world um, since 1994. Very interesting. Uh, What were some of your other experiences, some of the outside experiences beyond research that you you brought back from South Africa? Okay, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I went to South Africa, like I said, to study women business leaders. But I think I came away with probably more powerful experiences and lessons learned from sort of the bottom of the pyramid, if you will. Um, As a visiting scholar at the University of Pretoria, uh, my husband Ryan and I rented a house on a university campus. In South Africa, um, domestic labor is very cheap, and it offers someone a job um, in their economy, and their economy 
is experiencing a really high unemployment rate. Some people peg it at about 40% unemployment. And so we were assigned a housekeeper at this house on campus five days per week all day. (laughs) And if you're like me, that really is shocking. (laughs) Uh, To me, it's it's just this... um, this experience of domestic labor that you've never had before, and it can even be really uncomfortable. Um, so practically living with um, Ethne, what's her name? Um, she was a bright, honest woman as our housekeeper. Um, living with her taught me more about what it's like to be a low-wage worker. Uh, it taught me about the racial divide in South Africa. She taught me a lot about the culture in general and so many other things. So I sort of went there looking to understand the experiences of women at the top and probably came away with more lessons from women who are trying to work low-wage jobs as domestic laborers. Really interesting, isn't that? That's so fascinating that your biggest takeaway was from a low-wage worker. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, like, the privileged women who had made it, you know, to the top or the near top of corporations have their experiences, but the experiences that Ethne would share with me about sexual harassment, about quid pro quo, um, sexual harassment that she would experience to keep jobs um, as domestic, as a domestic laborer, they were really hugely impactful on me. And so based on that, I'm actually writing some papers now on domestic labor and um, especially um, domestic labor in post-colonial societies like, like South Africa. Wow. So she was the source of your greatest inspiration over there. Yes, definitely. Fascinating. And thus then opened you up to uh, broadening your research in that, in that department. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Very, very mm-hmm. fat. It's interesting how you go in thinking one thing, but the experience is is completely different. I think mm-hmm. that that kind of is indicative of life in the, in college, too. You know, you think mm-hmm. you're, it's going to be one way, but all of the, the richness of the experience is something completely different. That was my yeah. my personal experience as well. Yeah. And I'm sort of a... Um, how should I say, um, calculated, um, planning kind of a person. And, and so I think a, a good lesson to me was about the process too. Like you said, sort of being open to the research emerging and changing in ways that, that I hadn't planned and how that could be a really positive thing for her, for me, for, for the research, um, in general. Yeah, and I never believe that there are ever accidents in meetings. It's all very in, intentional to have a a deeper, richer experience. And in your case, that being one of uh, inspiring you or encouraging you to do research in a completely new area. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Now, one piece of information that you shared with me while I was on campus with you during the spring um, w- was that there's a widely diverse population of students at UIC. Many of them work two to three jobs just to be able to pay for and afford their education. What can you say about the motivation of students that you encounter? Well, I think we have great students at UIC. Um, many of these students are first-generation college students and their families. 
and a lot are children of immigrants. In fact, um, I think that we are almost going to have the largest ethnic population um, be represented by Hispanic students um, this coming fall. So they've eclipsed, uh, eclipsed white students or Caucasian students as a majority population. Um, they've worked very hard to get to UIC, and I also find that they work very hard at UIC. Um, I've worked at other universities and nothing bad about those other universities, but you, as a professor, you can really tell when you're in a situation where you are not with a group of privileged students, where the students are sort of grateful to have the experience, and they also then take sort of personal responsibility when they don't um, perform as well as they'd hoped. Um, I find that at UIC, students who say, oh, I didn't do very well on the test, then go on to tell you that, well, they had to work the night before and they didn't study as much as they'd hoped. Whereas at other universities, I know that students will then start pointing fingers at the professor and say, you made the test tricky, you made the test hard, you know, you're out to get me. And I have to say it's, it's refreshing to be at a school at U, like UIC where students are very adult-like and taking personal responsibility for successes and failures. I'm really proud to teach at a school with this kind of a student population. Well, and and it's such a, a refreshing thing to know because personal responsibility, personal accountability is something that in coaching, that's what, you know, we talk about is this is this is your life and the choices and decisions that you make directly impact the life that you are leading. And so as you look at the choices and decisions, and in this case, if your if your decision is to work in the job in order to pay for your education, which then isn't going to enable you to study as much. You have to understand that that's, that's the choice that you have made. Yeah, and it's a trade-off. Yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. a trade-off, but it's, it's something that they can feel, I'm sure, very empowered doing by saying, mm-hmm. hey, look, look, I worked these two or three jobs while uh, paying for my own education. I think that's an absolutely... Uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, lesson or wonderful experience that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, just in, we're we're running out of time here. Um, I just want to ask you, Jenny, uh, real quick, what's next for you in your research endeavors? Yeah, um, I'm doing a lot of research right now on others' perceptions of women leaders and their competency. Um, and the effects of having children and elder care responsibilities on women's career progress. Um, One of the papers um, that was published recently uh, in the Academy of Management Journal, um, my colleagues and I found that if you're a woman and if you don't have elder care responsibilities, you don't have children, just the fact that you're a woman actually leads to your manager perceiving that you will still at some point in your career, let your family get in the way of work. And it's sort of this modern um, discrimination. It's sort of this modern glass ceiling effect where uh, I've also heard, forgive the, the metaphor, I've heard it as the ticking womb idea that just being a woman in the workplace, unfortunately, to sets you sets you up for others' perceptions that at some point you're going to sacrifice your career for your family. Um, so it's not a, a positive message, but I think exposing these types of biases and making managers aware of the potential to hold these biases against their female employees um, are, are important. 
Yeah, it's and it's it's research that is uh, definitely worth that awareness, that that deeper level mm-hmm. of awareness, because that's where all change happens is yes. through that through that level of awareness. So yeah, and these aren't conscious biases, you know, and so no. making managers aware of them is the first way of rooting out these this discrimination that can potentially happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure, Jenny, that we could probably talk all day long about (laughs) more research, uh, but we are uh, unfortunately out of time. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights and uh, the latest data and research. Uh, It's been really, truly inspiring for all of, uh, for myself and I'm sure for all of our listeners today. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Steve, and thanks for the positive message that you spread to others. Thank you. And as always, for our troops, we send out a boomerang of gratitude and of peace. Thank you for all that you do for our freedom and protecting our freedom and rights. I wish you all a very empowered week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be right back here next Tuesday at the same time. Thank you again for joining us this week on Direct Connect Empowerment. Fima Zanke will be back with another guest next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you then.